Well, it's lovely to be here with you again. A few years ago, I was in the office and um, we had, we just moved floors from level 9 to level 10. A few of us were a little bit grumpy about that because, uh, well, there was no reason to move floors. Um, one could argue there wasn't a massive reason to be grumpy because the floors were identical in their very nature. Uh, but um, anyway, we, we kind of got over it a little bit. Uh, it was the first week. I was between meetings, needed to go to the toilet very quickly, so I hopped off to the loo, um, finished sort of washing my hands and uh, drying them. Um, I'm of the age where, if you're not careful, uh, what you tend to do all the time, as soon as you've kind of gone to the toilet, dry your hands, is you reach into your pocket and you grab your phone. It's like the first thing you do, just in case in those two or three minutes you've missed something. Another ten emails that might have come in that I need to answer and be wary of. So uh, what I did was I grabbed my phone, I looked down at it, I kicked the door open because I don't know about you, I don't like touching toilet doors. Um, Kicked the door open and uh, to my astonishment there was a lady in front of me. And, uh, And she looked at me and she was rather astounded. And I looked at her up from my phone, she pointed at the door and I saw this as it closed behind me. Turns out that the floors were identical in, uh, in every nature, apart from the fact they'd switched the female and the male toilets. Can you believe it? Why would they mess with us like that? I found myself in a place I was very unwelcome, for the right reasons. Um, I think my wife can top that, actually. A few years ago, actually this was going back even more years, probably about 10 years or so, um, I dropped her off at the shops just down the road here. In fact, it was before Tesco was open. And uh, said to her, look, I'll turn the car around quickly and I'll meet you back here. So I turned the car around quickly. She went into the shop. Uh, When I came back, someone had taken my car parking space. So I parked in the road opposite and made sure I was nice and visible. A few minutes later, she comes out. She's got a few things in her hands. She walks there, I'm flashing the car, lights, I'm putting my arms up, sort of, I'm over here, I'm over here. She makes her way swiftly round to the passenger seat of the car that was parked where I dropped her off. She quickly gets in, she puts her stuff on the floor, she grabs her seatbelt, she's chatting away to me, she looks at the person next to her, who was not me, in fact it was a young man who was getting changed after a football training session. (laughs) She found herself in a place she was not welcome. Uh, We've been doing a series about um, how the church welcomes people into our building, how the church welcomes people into our family. Just a really quick recap on, um, on some of the things we've covered. So in the first session we looked at how Jesus... Um, how he had a self-sacrifice in nature, how he welcomed us into union with the Father, how he built that bridge and how that inspires us to be humble, to be self-sacrificing and to welcome others into our church. In the second session we looked at uh, the early church, the radical welcome of the early church how they welcomed in people from different backgrounds, with different languages, with different cultures, different creeds, different colours, without bias. And we asked ourselves, what 
if we were a church that could welcome without any bias the young, the old, the rich, the poor, those on the edge of society, what would that look like? How would it make us feel? But we know the church and the early church when they welcomed people grew exponentially. People came to know who Jesus was. And this isn't about building the numbers within the church. Right? If we think it's about that, we've got it wrong. This is about introducing people to the person of Jesus. In the third session, we looked at how we open our doors up, open the doors of the church and create on a practical level as well as a deeper level, that sense of welcome. You know, for many people that don't go to church, what happens here on a Sunday is completely and utterly alien to them. We get so used to it, we get so used to our traditions, but others don't know what we do. Funnily enough, uh, my middle boy, he has just started football practice. Uh, uh, we want to get him to a club and uh, we went to a football session yesterday and I felt completely alien there. All of the parents knew each other. They've got their own little community. I felt like I didn't belong. Is that how some people feel when they join us here on a Sunday? Is that sometimes how you feel, even if you've been coming here for many years? Just on the edge. going to take quite a lot in terms of our attitudes, in terms of how we've grown up in church, in terms of how we love to be together, to to really challenge ourselves, to welcome people in, truly welcome people in. Today we're talking about church as a family, so we've welcomed people in, they're here, but how do we welcome people into the church family, not just to a service on a Sunday or an event that we run, but actually the church family. So we'll look a little bit about what it means to be a family. We'll talk a little bit today about the local family and the global family and we will also talk about what does a really authentic church family look like. But first, a question or a quiz. Can you name this famous family? Has anyone got any idea? By the way, they don't look like that. I've put those faces on there just to... um, you say, what, what a remarkable family resemblance they all have. Any ideas? I'll do a little bit of a reveal. This is the youngest. The middle. The eldest. Any ideas yet? Liz thinks she knows. There you go. Right, they're not really famous. That's my family. That's my family. So, uh, so the youngest over here is Max. Um, he's four years old. He's just started reception. Um, his favourite word at the moment is Nintendo. Yeah, that's what he says all the time. The middle boy's just—he's uh, got a football attached to his foot. We think we have to surgically remove it at the moment. His favourite words are Tottenham Hotspur. No booze. No booze. Thank you. It's one of the things that we admit a little bit more at the moment as we're winning the league. Esme, she's my eldest. She is going to senior school next year, believe it or not. Happens really, really quickly. Loves books, loves reading, loves creating stories and incredible imagination. That's my wife, Sarah. The last time I was here, she was just applying for a new job. 
thank the Lord, she actually got that new job. She works for Great Ormond Street now as a uh, specialist cleft nurse. Uh, she's based over in Broomfield and she covers the Essex area. Gets a huge amount of joy out of that. God has really blessed her in what she's doing, really enjoys it. And that's me. That's me. Believe it or not, I had my 40th birthday earlier on this year. Now, I know I don't look a day over 37 and three quarters, do I? 39 and three quarters, I think some of you are saying, aren't you? Um, I still work in the bank. Um, I'm a school governor down at um, Sunnymead Primary School. I, uh, I've enjoyed uh, being, uh, being a governor for a number of years now. We're you know, very much committed to the Sunnymead community and the Sunnymead area. We've just moved house, though, from that side of Sunnymead to this side of Sunnymead. So we're actually only a three-minute walk away from this building instead of a seven-minute walk that way. Um, so that's my family. Um, can anyone tell me whose family this is? If you do, that is it's so strange that you would know this. I'll give you a little bit of a clue, and you might get it from the next picture. One of these young ladies is a, name, is a lady called Laura, and she wrote lots of stories about her family in America. The Ingalls. Who said that? Well done. The Ingalls. You probably know them from the TV adaption, The Little House on the Prairie. I used to love that when I was younger, watching that. Very wholesome kind of family. Um, welcomed many people into the family. Uh, you'll see there's a couple of, well, you might not know, but there's a couple of extended family members. There's an adopted child in there. Um, anyone know who this family is? It's from the film Encanto, absolutely. And it's the family Madrigal, uh, about a family who um, had lots of gifts and they helped their community uh, with all of those gifts. What about this family? The Trotters, very good. Uncle Albert there, Rodney, Dave, and Del Boy Trotter. Very good. This family, do you know this family? The Simpsons, very good. What about this one? It's a tricky one. Here, I'll do a bit of a reveal. Oh, the Beckham family, very good, Liz. There you go. The Beckham family, lots of people are watching on Netflix at the moment, a documentary about David Beckham and his life. The next family, you've got to get this one. I can hear it. There you go. Look, there's the youngest. Hey, the cheesy smiles. All looking very happy. This is what we traditionally look at as a family unit, don't we? Mother, son, uh, sorry, mother, um, father, uh, children within the setup. Uh, sometimes we go a little bit beyond, maybe after we've watched the Generation Game or Family Fortunes, we think about our blood relatives. Um, when we need them to, to, to help us <laughs> in a game like that. Um, but actually, uh, we're thinking a little bit deeper than that today about the church family. Now, quite often when I come to talk, I'm given a passage of scripture to speak through. I haven't got a passage today. Uh, I've got a topic. So what I thought might be helpful, and hopefully you can see this, 
is I've put a few scriptures up there that we'll be referring to today. So if you want to write them down, you can make some notes next to them. If you want to put your finger or your ribbon in your Bible, you can refer to them as we go through this journey today. Bless you. The Bible emphasises scripture right from the get-go. Oh, telephone. Martin, you can get that for us. Tell them they're welcome if they want to join us. Um, The Bible emphasises family from the get-go. Adam was given a partner. God did not want him to be alone. They were told to be fruitful. Noah and his family... They were saved by God. God looked upon them favourably. Abraham was known as the father of nations. The Israelite tribes were given names after Jacob's sons. Ruth was welcomed into Boaz's family. David was rebuked severely by Nathan because he split apart a family when he took her off to his death so he could take Bathsheba as his wife. God values togetherness. God values commitment. God is Father, Son and Holy Spirit. God is family himself. He gives us that example himself. We know that Jesus was born to Joseph and Mary. Uh, When we go to Matthew chapter 12, uh, verses 46 to 50, It says, while Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are outside and they want to speak to you. He replied to them, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whatever or whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother, my sister and my mother. See, Jesus extends this definition of what we're used to as family into something more eternal, something more global. When I was younger, uh, we moved over to Germany for about four or five years in the mid-90s. Soon after we settled, we made a home in a local church Despite the fact there were different cultures, despite the fact we'd come from a different area, we became part of that church family for the four years that we spent in Germany. That's amazing, isn't it? That you can go to a different country and become part of a family. You can leave the family that we had here both relatives and the church that we were going to, and God could bless us with a new family for us to live, be and grow with. It's where I spent a lot of my formative teenage years, learning from other people in God's family. Have you ever been to a Christian conference or an event, and by the end of it, You sit there and think, oh goodness, these people are such wonderful people. I wish I could spend every day with them because they are part of God's global family. There's a connection, there's a unity with those who 
follow Christ, those who have given their lives to Christ. When we go and visit relatives in Malaysia, we often go and worship in a church over there and we are made to feel welcome and part of what they are doing. And that's amazing, isn't it, that we can say that we are part of God's global, eternal family. But the thing is, right, the power of family is actually more relevant and more prevalent in our lives when we look at our local geographies and commit to a local church. That is the pattern that we saw in the New Testament, in the early church. Believers met in people's houses, in Philemon's house, in Aquila and Priscilla's house, in Nympha's house. The churches were written to by Paul. A lot of the epistles were written not to big mega churches, but to house churches. And the letters were passed from one house church to another house church in in Ephesus or in Corinth or in Galatia. These were local communities, local bodies of believers that met together, that devoted themselves to each other, that became family. You see, God hasn't designed us to be individuals. He's not designed us to be on our own. Now, we're blessed with this eternal family, but it's very clear that, uh, that Paul writes to Timothy, we should not abandon our earthly families. We shouldn't neglect them. Our problem, though, doesn't normally start when we neglect our, or, or our, our issues doesn't normally, isn't normally that we neglect our earthly family. Our, our issue is that we prioritise our earthly family normally at the expense of our eternal family, at the expense of our church family. Jesus says in, um, in John that uh, you know, the Father will know you, he says, my Father will know you if you follow my commands, if you obey my commands. And what were his two commands? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind, and love your neighbour as yourself. He actually says in in John chapter 15, verses 14 to 17, um, I'll paraphrase it a little bit, but you are my friends if you do what I command. And right at the end of that, verse 17, he says, I command you to love each other. Now, love is an active word. Love isn't a concept. It's not something that's just written down on a piece of paper. It's an active word. Love means nothing unless you do something. So you cannot be a friend of God without committing to love his church. Without committing to love each other. Because he says, I command you to do this. I command you to love each other. Love requires commitment. Love requires intimacy. Love requires vulnerability. Love requires sharing. 
Love requires being intentional. The writer of Hebrews says, do not, do not be in the habit of not meeting regularly. He encourages us to meet regularly. You don't build a relationship by seeing people once a month or so over a nice cup of tea and coffee, having superficial conversation about the weather. You build relationship, you commit to each other, you learn to love each other through spending regular, intentional time together. Now, I didn't get to know my wife by you know, writing in her a letter once every six months or so. You know, I'd spend time talking, being vulnerable, being open, sharing, trusting that she wouldn't then go and blab out all sorts of things elsewhere. We're called to trust each other to share with each other, to be open with each other, to ask God to move among us so that we can support each other. What does a church look like that loves each other, truly loves each other? I'm not talking about, you know, is kind to each other and, you know, sort of says hello and acknowledges each other, but truly loves each other, sacrifices for each other. We live in a world that is broken, don't we? I mean, it's really broken at the moment. You just have to look at the news, don't you? There's fighting, there's divide, there's anger, there's upset. Even on a local basis, you know, you just have to drive out in a busy street and people are aggressive when on the road. You know, people are in a rush on the pavement. People knock past you. People forget to say please and thank you, probably because they're not grateful and they think they deserve what they're getting. We live in a broken world. What does a church look like who loves each other as family? I tell you what we look like. We look radically different to the outside world. We look radically different to our communities. People will look at us and they'll go, wow, look at those people. Look how they bear with each other. Look how they're patient with each other. Look how they forgive each other. Look how they sacrifice for each other. Look how they love each other. Look how they encourage each other. Look how they look for opportunities to help each other, to build each other up. Look how they share things amongst each other. Look how no one goes without being looked after. No one has a need because the need is supplied. In a world that is so broken, God has given us a solution in the church, in the church family. But it takes sacrifice. It takes intentionality. As I was preparing, um, oh, actually, it says in Galatians, you know, know, uh, Paul writes in Galatians very clearly, we are all one in Christ. We are all one. We're one body. We read it earlier on. Helen picked out one of the verses in Romans. We are one body in Christ. We know what it's like. You know, I know what it's like because I'm getting into my 40s now. You know, it was only a few years ago that um, that I used to be able to play a football game. Didn't used to have to stretch. Didn't used to have to worry about aching afterwards. I could go on a run and, uh, you know, I didn't have to... take a five-day break after that (laughs) and not do another run for a while. Um, You know what it's like when our bodies, 
you know, parts of our bodies don't work, right? It's not like it was, you know, it's not how God intended it to. It's not how God made us. We're a body and we should be operating together. Have you ever watched the trooping of the colour? Right, if you, you see how in sync everyone is. Left, right, left, right. They turn in sync. They play in sync. If you watch that and if, if you see if anyone is out of sync, the whole thing looks messed up. It really does. I mean, if you've ever played or heard an orchestra, they are all in sync with each other. There's no hiding. If you don't know the tune, you'll be found out pretty soon. It sounds awful. As, as I was preparing, I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, um, uh, impress upon me Mark uh, chapter 3, verses 24 and 25. It says there, if a kingdom is divided against itself, it cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, it cannot stand. I felt the Lord saying to me, if a church is divided against itself, it cannot stand. If people within the church are divided against each other, the church cannot stand. I'm not talking about half the church saying one thing and the other half church saying that. I'm talking about individuals. I'm talking about challenges that we have sometimes bearing with each other. I was, uh, I was honoured enough to speak very briefly at my cousin's wedding a week or so ago uh, and I felt a word that the Lord had given me is something that I should have learned much earlier on in my marriage um, but it was, uh, it, it was the word of humility um, and I said to them, you know, what you need to do when you argue, because you will argue eventually, right? And you know, let's be honest, you know, you'll argue in relationships. Yeah, most churches will have some sort of disagreements at some point, right? It's not about not having disagreements. It's about how you deal with disagreements that is most important. And, um, and it's one thing that my wife taught me really well. Be ruthlessly competitive when it comes to being the first to come forward and say sorry. Humble yourselves. Say sorry. It says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 and 27, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. We don't want a foothold in this church. We don't want the devil to have a foothold in this church. We don't want the devil to have a foothold in our lives. We've just said as a church that our vision is for Jesus to be at the centre of everything, at the heart of everything. In Acts chapter 2, verse 1, Luke tells us that when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. It's quite funny, isn't it? All together in one place. You can't be all together in four places, can you? Um, When you read a little bit closer in a different version, uh, the King James Version is quite helpful, or the New King James Version is quite helpful in this respect. Uh, It says they were all together and of one accord. They were all together of one mind. they, They were united now, we will have our differences. People will have our di- yeah, their differences with each other. We're human, after all. Right. I, think, uh, I think it was Jeff Lucas that said, if you've been part of church for more than two or three months and you haven't had a disagreement with someone, 
Yeah, this is, you're probably dead, I think he was sort of saying, you know. It's inevitable that it happens. But it's how we deal with that, how we take it to God that is most important. There should be no division among us. We should be together and of one accord, one mind. You know, there are over 50 different, and there's not 50 on there, but there's, there's over 50 commands in the New Testament uh, it, which relate to how we should treat each other as church members. Not how God treats us, not how we treat God, not how um, you know, we interact with the Father or the Son or the Holy Spirit, but actually how we interact with each other. It's a bit small, isn't it, written up there. Be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to become angry. Live in harmony. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you might be healed. We often think that we should be confessing our sins to God, and of course we should be confessing our sins to God. James tells us to confess our sins to each other, that others can pray for us. That requires vulnerability, doesn't it? That requires humility. But God, you know, Jesus says in Mark that you know, those that leave their brothers and sisters and mothers, they will be blessed even more. He has a promise for us. He has a promise that we will, we will be blessed. We will be given more brothers and sisters and mothers. And probably, you know, for those that have been going for ch- to church for a long period of time, uh, you, will, you will have testimony that says, you know, that you have brothers and sisters and mothers and sons and daughters in Christ. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility. Value others above yourself. Be devoted to one another in love. Encourage each other daily. That's what being a church family looks like. Church isn't a club. Church is a way of life. It's an existence. It's really sad that, that church attendance has been diminishing in the West significantly over the years because people have not seen the value of connecting with each other because people have not found family in church. Yeah, They may have felt a place where they belonged for a short period of time, but they didn't find family. Don't worry, I'm going to bring this into land in a second. There's a few things that I wanted to um, impress on us just uh, just as we were you know, as we as we bring this into land. Maybe you are new to the church. Maybe you've been coming a long time to the church. Do you feel like you're part of the family? Do you want to be part of the family? I think. God's challenge to us today is to be recommitting to this family, this local family. Recommitting means being vulnerable with each other, being bothered about each other, watching out for each other, asking each other the next question, not just the how are you. Being honest when people ask us those questions. Yeah, I'm okay. Oh, no problem, everything's good. Oh, you know, you've got worse problems than me. Not that. 
I've had a tough week, actually. Things haven't gone so well. Could you pray for me about this? I'm struggling to forgive this person, which kind of brings me on to the next point. Maybe, I mean, statistics would say that you know, within this room, you know, there are people that have harboured a grudge, you know, that, that have been unforgiving. It's happened to me, myself, you know. I'm wondering why I'm not growing in Christ. And it's because I haven't forgiven something or someone that has said something, not even that nasty, something that maybe I took out of context. Has that ever happened to you? You've taken something out of context, someone said something, someone maybe has ignored you that used to speak to you all the time. Something that the church has done that you weren't happy with. How can you take that today to to God to put it at the foot of the cross and say, Father, I want to move on from this. I want to move on because I want to know you more, because I want to commit to these people around me, because I want to show your love, because by showing your love to them, I'm following your commandment. And if I'm following your commandment, it means I am your friend. If I want to get close to the, closer to the Lord, I need to get closer to my family, my church family. And then for those of us that feel part of the family, fantastic. How can you welcome others that are on the edge into the family? How can you be brave and do that? How can you show God's love to them? It might not be easy. It might require a bit of sacrifice. Fairly recently I was asked um, by a friend at church if, uh, if I wouldn't mind organising a work experience for his son. Now this sort of thing in, in my organisation is a right old, I'll confess to you, don't tell him by the way, is a right old pain in the neck. I didn't know how to respond to it. I didn't know how to feel about it. I kind of put it off a little bit. I thought about making something up. Oh, we don't do this sort of thing anymore. And then I was preaching on family in a few weeks' time. And you know what God said to me? He said to me, what would you do if that was your son? And my answer was, I'd move heaven and earth to get him into that work experience to give him what may set him up for the future. I said, well, that guy... His son is my son as well. His son is my son as well. I'd do it for my own son, so I'd do it for his son. And I wouldn't do it begrudgingly. I would say to the Lord, I want to do this with joy. I want to make it completely worth his while. I want to do it as if I'm doing it for my own son. We're going to pray. And then we're going to um, close the service uh, with a song. Father, I want to thank you. I want to thank you that, um, that you have put us in families. I want to thank you that you value families. You value unity. You value togetherness. You value commitment. 
I want to thank you that you've promised to bless us being part of your church family. Lord, I want to ask that you challenge us to welcome people into that family. I want to ask, Father, that you challenge us where we're harbouring any grudges or, um, or upset against other members of the church. And even wider, that we put that in front of you now at the foot of the cross and we say, Lord, take it from me. I pray, Father, that when we do that, you will help us to move forward with it. You will guide us as to whether or not the right thing is then to approach those individuals or not. But we want to leave that with you now in Jesus' name. Father, in this whole series, we, we ask that, um, that you help us to really hit through the most important thing, which is we want to introduce more and more people to you. Thank you, Father. Amen.